story you tell everyone. There's a place to share a laugh about when things went wrong and a place to share the video of you dancing to your song. There's a place to share spare change, lunch, and your time. But we could all be better at sharing how we're feeling inside. 76% of employees have struggled with at least one issue that affected their mental health. When you share, you're not alone. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Lunch Buffet. We've got a nice round of stuff on the menu. We've got a president that has COVID-19. We have the first African-American woman to be in the vice president of the debate. A whole lot more. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Intellectual Soul Food Lunch Buffet. I am the sous chef, Doc Rob. We hope you're doing well. We are again, we are seven weeks into our academic semester, seven weeks, day two. And joining us in the sous chef kitchen with us, we've got Zaria Johnson, Brittany Cohen, Brandon Blizzard, Chuck Manning, and Joyce Joyce Hurd. I hope you're all doing well. Zaria is going to co-host with us. Isn't that right, Zaria? Yes, it is. Tell uh, us about yourself. Um, my name is Zaria Johnson. I'm a senior at NCCU, majoring in mass communications. And um, like Dr. Robinson said, I will be your co-host today. Okay, so why don't you tell us what we are, why don't you open up our first topic for us today? So the basis of our show is about masculinity and femininity. Um, one of the first topics that we wanna get into is the representations of black masculinity in media um, and our panelist, Jocelyn Hurd, can go ahead and talk about that. Jocelyn. Jocelyn, your mic is muted. There you go. Oh, I can't hear her. Sorry. It's really low. No worries. Keep talking. Um, so basically, I wanted to cover the topic of Black masculinity. Um, most people see it as a man who's strong, a man who they usually get the characteristics of what masculinity is from people that they look up to, like people who have raised them. Um, so I feel like masculinity, it refers to the attributes and behaviors, um, the different roles that they play that associate with men. So, yeah. So when we think about the term black masculinity, or is it just masculinity as a whole, how do we deal with this term masculinity? Let's start basically with this, because we talked about this last time. I want to ask the gentleman in the panel, what does it mean to be masculine? Let's start with you, Brandon. I think masculinity is just described as how you take responsibility, how you carry yourself, how you um, how you look out for others, and just your overall, how you, how you express yourself as a man. Chuck, what about you? Um, I feel that masculinity can be described, uh, what to me in a way is uh, a sense of saying of leadership, of leading, and just having that dominance um, opposed to others, your know, uh, other counterparts, just having a, a dominance, showing it in, in behaviors and the way you dress and the way you're physically built as far as with uh, adding to what Joyce. Ladies. Tell us what do you think about those those codings, if you will, of masculinity? How does that jive with your idea, your definitions, what you've been led to believe masculinity is? Zarya, take it to start it with us. Um, I believe that in recent years, there's a very foggy definition of what masculinity is, because if you were to ask somebody maybe 10 years ago what masculinity is, it would be the man of the household and you have to speak like this and you have to dress like this and men don't cry and, and all of those um those factors play into masculinity but i feel like now like i said it's a foggy definition so i don't know if i can truly define what it is because i feel like in some aspects and not in a bad way but women can be masculine too so i i don't, I don't know if i can really find a true definition of what masculinity is other ladies 
I agree with Zaria. I believe that the definition of what masculinity is today is really um, not as concrete as it used to be um, because like she said, a lot of women can be masculine um, and the definitions that some of the men um, pose was um, men particularly being the head of the household, they are the person that's the provider, the leader, the protector. But in a lot of cases, the women have been um, assuming those roles that were traditionally, um, I wouldn't say forced on men, but established for men. Okay. Zara, you have the next question. Unmute yourself. That would be much better. So. <laughs> Our next question, did you want me to go right into the next topic or still stay on the topic? You're the co-host. You tell me what you think. You sh I'm going okay. to play off of you today. Play okay. off of your actions today. All right. So I think I want to still um, stick to mas masculinity and I want to bring this to the men in the room. So um, again, on this topic, uh, I think Chuck, you have mentioned it with dressing and stuff like that. Um, what makes, what is masculine clothes? Like, is it is it masculine for a woman to like wear a pantsuit? Or you, you, you understand what I'm saying? Like what defines masculinity in clothing? Um, I, I definitely, uh, I, would, I, don't, I wouldn't describe a woman wearing as more business uh, with her preference. I think masculine clothes would be more so, um, how can I put it? English, it works best for all of us. Sir, you're, you're absolutely right. I'm <laughs> trying to collect my thoughts together. Um, I would say clothing that uh, that kind of um, shows off physical features or certain parts that may be, um, I don't know, that may be more like, you know, it may be something that so something like maybe like a body part or, or a certain just a certain way you look at it. Like that's not, uh, Chuck, you're fading out. Brandon, what about you? Um, honestly speaking, I don't think that there is a type of clothing that necessarily defines masculinity, like for a man. Now that's that's go into some detail with that. Yeah. I mean, like, as far as like, like, it's not like a specific brand or like a specific type of like, because like, so I, I already really, see a man in a jumper. Like a Cam Newton, didn't Cam Newton wear like a, a jumper, a romper, like, but you're not going to tell Cam Newton he's not masculine. You feel me? So it's like, I don't, I guess it really just depends on how you look at it and how the man who is wearing it is carrying himself. Hmm. Okay. So I kind of do understand what you're saying because it depends to me. This is my opinion. It depends on how the man wears what he wears that defines it maybe as masculine. I don't know if Brittany or Jocelyn feel the same way. It's about how you carry yourself, not exactly the garments that you wear. I agree. Um, in terms of like Cam Newton style, um, I don't follow sports, but I would recognize Cam Newton based on his style and the way that people talk about him. Um, and some people would say his style is feminine, but really I feel like it's just the way he presents himself that makes him masculine because I've seen uh, men wear rompers. I've seen them wear the Uggs that are necessarily designed for women. And I feel like it's just all dependent on how that person presents themselves and how they, um, I would say, categorize himself as being quote unquote masculine. Interesting. And kind of piggyback on top of what Brittany and um, Zari have said, I feel like the spectrum of what masculinity is, I feel like it's not so much of, it's becoming a thing of not so much what you wear, but how um, Chuck and Brandon have said, um, it's more about how you represent yourself, how you, um, I feel like the spec, like, the guidelines of what is seen as masculine has definitely been stretched. I've seen men wear um, the purses and things like that. So 
I definitely agree with what y'all are saying. So, so the question I'm going to have with this then comes back to performance. How do you perform masculinity? How are we performing masculinity? And on top of that, I will even add an extra layer to this. Can you perform black masculinity? What does that mean? Anybody? Um, I think black masculinity is the way that, I feel like if black men carry themselves a little bit different than um, people of other races would, in my opinion, um, I feel like we like men as a whole, like black men, I feel like they hold like a lot of strength. Like when you see them, they look, most look very confident, most look comfortable in their skin. So um, I definitely feel like we kind of have to, as black people in general, have to make ourselves look a little bit more, I, I can't really explain it, but it's like the way that we carry ourselves, is, it kind of ties into that. Someone else? question that we have on the table comes to us says what is black masculinity someone define that for us what is black masculinity can you define it can we define black can we define black masculinity that's the question I don't know if you can. Sure you can. Or, Try it. Um, I don't know. I guess black masculinity would have, I don't know. I mean, basic head of the household, strong man persona and stuff, but does that also fall into maybe the question of toxic masculinity? I don't know. So. Well, before we go into toxic, I want to know, can we get a grasp on black? Wrestle with the term. What is black masculinity? Well, the simple term, I would say what is masculinity within black men um, or even black women, honestly, um, because um, like I was saying earlier, a lot of black women have assumed the roles of what will be deemed as being a uh, black men like they're the head of the household they take care of the bills um they basically take care of every aspect of the family unit and that was something that was traditionally assumed by men and those the lines are being blurred especially in today's society with more representation in uh tv even music um and i feel like the term black masculinity is so broad but it can be concrete in a way, especially if you're looking more so within the race itself, as opposed to comparing it to other races. Because like Zaria was saying, a lot of other races, they might not present the same way as a black man would, or as a black woman would in terms of masculinity, in terms of strength, in terms of confidence. Um, so I feel like the definition can be very broad. Very good. So let's go back to this term that was mentioned, toxic masculinity. Because people are using this more regularly now in our, our daily nomenclature, if you will, our lexicon. We want to have a term, toxic masculinity. What exactly is toxic masculinity? Why do you think toxic masculinity has gotten so much attention, certainly in the past four years? Um, I think that it's gotten so much attention because of who we have in office. And um, like, I, I think that not that it started, but it was sort of like the, the straw that broke the camel back when um, the audio recording came out with um, Donald Trump saying, I'm gonna grab her by the, et cetera. Um, I think that it showed like men will really sort of stick up for other men or this is how a man is supposed to act. And it's been allowed for numbers and numbers and numbers of years when it's not, it shouldn't be normal and it's actually very toxic to society for people and especially men to think that things like that are okay. It's not just how a man should act, it's actually toxic. So Chelsea comes to us and she says, y'all think there's such thing as white masculinity? 
It's a good question. Is there a such thing as white masculinity? Wow. Crickets on that one. There are a few crickets there. That's okay. Oh, oh, oh Chuck. Welcome to the party, Chuck. White masculinity. Um, just thinking about how, how America was built upon just you know, white people being in, in favor of power and how they, how they structured the way that we live, um, I guess you could you could you could term you could you could term and, and make a, a case for white masculinity because that's how it is perceived that the woman comes second behind the man and the man does everything outside has the power while the woman is at home taking care of all this all this other necessities. But really, it's all it's it's not just it's why I say why I say you can make a case because that but why you couldn't is because masculinity is talking about men as a whole. Like I don't think it really plays on the race so much, but just more so the action behaviors of men as a whole. So we're gonna pivot because I think this is a great opportunity. As we talk about white masculinity, I think it's a great opportunity for us to again jump into the person we call the president, which is Donald Trump, and he had an interesting debate performance a couple of weeks ago, and now we're looking in comparison to the debate performance of Kamala Harris, who went up against, <coughs> excuse me, uh, Vice President Mike Pence. Did you all get a chance to see the debate last night? Yes, I did. Talk to me about it. It was really <coughs> Talk to me about it. Um, so basically, uh, oh, Go ahead. is Ari going to Oh, no, no, no. Oh, okay. So basically during the debate, um, I feel as though they made some really great points, but what was very obvious was Vice President Pence um, interrupted um, Senator Harris a lot. That was what stuck out a lot after they did um, a lot of the news, like uh, I guess you could say like reporters, they were speaking a lot on how um, basically Vice President, <coughs> Vice President Pence was just kind of being really rude during the um the debate they kamala definitely represented herself very well she was very professional and i feel like she definitely got her point across others so i watched the debate last night also um it actually felt normal like um i wasn't <laughs> normal yeah it felt normal even the fly felt normal yeah compared to even to last week's um, debate last week's debate was just I think I forgot one of the reporters on CNN he said it was a hot mess just exactly what it was but um, last night's debate even though Pence had his moments um, of interrupting and stuff like that I, I don't think I would expect anything less from that for, for a debate um, mm -hmm. he wasn't as belligerent as President Trump but it was much more it was much more poised than last week's debate so. Right. We have a comment that just came in from Latanya Blizzard. I don't think masculinity is color coded. I do think it's taught differently in different communities. I thank you for the comment. So I guess the question I would have here with this is I want to go back to the debate. I think it was Joyce. You mentioned earlier that everything that she not Donald, but Pence interrupted her consistently throughout the entire process. And now as she was interrupted, according to what we saw a Fox News reporter or analyst stated that undecided voters now believe that Harris, uh, she is being viewed, and I'll check the words on it, but she's being viewed through a very negative lens. I'll have to double check that. I'll swim find it for you. But I think the key is, is that they were expecting her to be submissive and to back down, bow down. What do you all think about that? I'll find the quote for you. I would definitely expect the media as a whole to, you know, demonize um, Kamala Harris um, significantly because she is a black woman and she is in a position of power and she has a potential of being 
in a greater position of power um, by being alongside a potential candidate to be the president of the United States. So I would expect the media to condemn her and try to make it seem like she is a part of the rhetoric of the angry black woman or the black woman with an attitude. Um, I know on Twitter, a lot of people were making memes already about the facial expression that she was making and associating it with the black mama look and things of that nature. And it really goes into perspective of how the country actually views black women, even if they train for months to be on a debate where millions and millions of people are seeing them and they get, they still get some sort of derogatory term attached to their name. And I think that's something that plays into how patriarchy views um, women as a whole and especially black women. Right, if you take a look here, we actually have a clip that comes in and it talks to us about this piece where we have the folks at Fox News, they have viewed her and they have basically stated in a nutshell, I'm gonna see if I can pull it up for us all, that undecided voters have found Harris abrasive, condescending and vice presidential debate. That comes from Frank Lutz. Yes, who'd like to speak on that? I would. Um, I think that whether either one of those candidates would have said, I'm, I'm assuming that they're talking about when she said, I'm speaking, I'm speaking, I'm speaking. If he would have done that to her, they would have said that it was condescending too. So I don't understand why they're trying to be like, oh, he was the winner and stuff like that. I also think that they were calling her condescending or abrasive and stuff like that because she actually spoke up for herself. And that people think that we as black women or just women in general are supposed to be submissive. Like, oh, he, okay, just let him interrupt. Okay. And not supposed to say anything. So I feel like that's a, that's a sort of, I guess maybe toxic masculinity just showing himself. Like we can't speak up for ourselves. We can't say I'm speaking respect, respect my time, but now we're mm, kind of abrasive. Oh, that kind of falls into a, um, I was watching, my father was watching a movie the other day, I think it's called The Glorious. And this, it was a, a quote she mentioned that said, uh, masculinity in this world um, refers to what means leading while femininity is following. So just what you said as far as uh, with her thinking, you know, it's supposed to, she's supposed to just let him do uh, as he pleases. I think it falls back into that and into the same, like the same as that toxic masculinity trait that we're seeing. Well, that kind of takes us back into another piece. Then when we think about this issue with Donald Trump and the Proud Boys, uh, again, for those who are not familiar, Donald Trump roughly two weeks ago in his presidential debate talked about how he didn't know who the Proud Boys were. He, he basically said, stand back and stand by uh, to the Proud Boys. And a lot of people felt that there was a challenge. So when we think about that notion with his power as the ultimate bully pulpit, Talk to me then about this other piece of toxic masculinity. Do you think then that his, I guess, his actions, his inability to, to just directly come out against it, against a hate group, do you think that that actually plays into toxic masculinity or as one, one person put out, white dominance? I think I don't think that plays into toxic masculinity. I think that plays into more, like you said, white <clears throat> more so a racial issue because that's more so like, how could how could you have you're the president you have the power to denote anything or anybody but you couldn't to a racial to a hate group so um i think that really plays more so on white dominance just probably things that he's been raised into and things that he views as or doesn't see wrong within it very good well folks when we get back we're going to come back after this quick break but when we get back we're going to be talking about Women in athletics, talking about transgendered women specifically and other issues of importance in the news. We'll see you back in roughly 30 seconds. Prescription drug pricing points to corporate Freedom of the press is about your right to know. It's about your right to be informed. Today, there are real threats to press freedom and your right to know about the world around us. We must protect our right to know, no matter what kind of news is important to you. Before it's too late, understand the threats. Protectpressfreedom.org. Zaria, take us to our next conversational piece in our, our menu for the day. 
So like you spoke about before we went on break, um, we're gonna get into um, gender issues, things that have to do with transgender issues. Um, I believe that it was Brittany that talked about um, gender issues in athletics. So you can go ahead and take that. Yes, so uh, recently Serena Williams, she had a injury to her Achilles and she had to drop out of the French Open. And this raised a lot of questions and issues surrounding her age and her being a woman in athletics in general because a lot of people on social media, um, as soon as she announced that she was hurt and that she had this injury and she was not able to perform um, her athletic duties, mm -hmm. they immediately went to, oh, she should retire oh, she's had enough accolades and things of that nature. Um, but they would not have, that same treatment wouldn't be directed towards men um, because there are tons of athletes who are over the age of 35 who are still playing, who are still getting the same respect um, that male athletes have gotten in the past. But unfortunately, women athletes, they don't get the same treatment. They, as soon as something is wrong, especially Black women, not black women, but women uh, athletes who become pregnant, they're immediately deemed as, oh, um, they're not able to perform to the best of their abilities. They're not able to compete. Um, so the issue of gender and ageism and sports in general, it's, it's something that needs to be discussed. It's something that can potentially hurt somebody's career. Okay, so let's have the conversation. Tell us how it could hurt someone's career. Um, well, in terms of hurting their career, I feel like it can hurt how people perceive them. Um, in terms of Serena Williams, uh, her just her being a successful black woman in sports, it's something that it's she gets more, I wouldn't say screen time, but she gets she has more notoriety than me. Um, in her position, her high position in sports right now. Um, it's not the same for a lot of people. And she ultimately is a target in a lot of cases because um, of how successful she is, of how poised she is. Um, and that's something that a lot of people fear. And I feel like her being in such a high position within the sports totem pole, if you will, um, all eyes are on her. But really, the eyes should be on other people who are doing things that aren't you know, satisfactory in the world of sports. So we're looking at a piece that comes to us from uh, RT and they notion or mention this piece on white privilege. Serena Williams says she's been underpaid, undervalued. And this actually goes back into the notion of, again, as you've mentioned, you know, she is now having to withdraw from the, I believe it is the French Open. It might be the US Open. I don't know, I have to double check. But again- It's the French Open. It's the French, thank you. So it's the French Open. Do you feel, and I think we have a quote Let's see, don't know, but to double check. I guess the question is, is are we looking at a clear cut double standard in this whole piece, especially around the line of women's sports? Um, Who are we looking at the double standard? Are we looking at basically even as the piece talked about white privilege in women's sports? Examine, I mean, explain. I think so. I think sports is, well, masculinity, I think, is constructed within sports and it's reinforced within sports because you have the rough housing, the violence, and the idea of meritocracy. I think I'm pronouncing that right, where you're chosen based on your abilities. And when we look at hegemonic masculinity, if you're straight, white, middle class, male, you know, you get certain privileges that other people don't get. And I think that sort of trickles over into sports. So, um, yeah. Someone else. Um, Sorry, I think this also ties into our last conversation um, about uh, toxic masculinity and uh, the difference between the two. Um, when speaking about Serena and she speaks about um, how she feels like she's underpaid and not valued and Brittany spoke about she's always attacking things like that. I think that also plays into the fact that Serena is not 5'2 and petite and that she's a full-fledged woman. And because she doesn't have no, she doesn't have like skinny arms or anything like that, 
people come for her and try to label her as masculine because I feel like they're threatened. And I think that plays a part into why she feels like she's under, underpaid and undervalued as well. Do we think, though, to something, I, I love the point that you make that she does not fit into the ideal as folks have tried to ascribe. When we think of the tennis player, the female tennis player in particular, what are we looking at or who do we see visually? Who are some of the names that come to your mind who are not Venus or Serena? I don't have any. Me either. <laughs> other than Naomi Osaka, because we talked yeah. about her the other week, I think. Naomi yeah. Osaka, but there were some others. I mean, traditionally you had, uh, God, uh, well, Martina, Martina Navratilova, she's way, she's even kind of like before my time. But as you got into it, you start seeing people like the Steffi Graf. So it was really like a rich white girl sport, or you had to be connected to get inside of this particular sport. Maria Sharapova, she was another one. In fact, she was the one that was screaming every time she hit the ball. And as you began to see this constantly over and over again, I think you then saw the changing face of tennis and women's tennis, at least. It changed dramatically when the Williams sisters came on board. And then the thing that we also noticed is that they didn't get as much advertisement or advertising dollars that they would usually get. Um, but they were consistent at winning championships. So I want to pivot now. I'm going to talk to you, Dallas. Dallas, you got yeah. a story for us about transgender. What's going on with that? Ooh, okay, so three transgender women of color were attacked in California. They were attacked and robbed in California. And one of the victims, Jasmine Boussinet, she was hit over the head with a glass bottle. And she said that instead of helping people that were standing by, just mocked the three of them and reported. And she's claimed that it's a hate crime because she's a trans, well, her and her friends are transgender women. Okay, and here is a piece of that. If we can take a look at it, if I can get it up. And pardon the dogs that we've got. <laughs> but yes, that's the piece. L.A. officials blast the callous bystander who filmed the attack on the bystanders. Again, folks, we're in COVID-19, so I'm doing this from home. That's why you might hear the dogs in the background. Um, let's talk about this. Let's impact it. Um, I think that this sort of speaks to, I don't want to say heteronormativity. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. But I think when we look at sex, sex is like what you, your biological anatomy assigned at birth or before birth. But when we think about gender, it's a socially constructed idea. And when we talk about social construction, we mean that we have certain connotations or notions that are placed on certain people and things um, based on society standards. So if you ask me, there's no real definition to what a woman or a man or what it means to be feminine or masculine because these are society's made up rules. And I think that's where we get non-conforming people. That's where we get transgender people because they internally feel a certain way and they express themselves based on how they feel in internally and not necessarily conforming to society's notions and standards. I'll go ahead and read the question. Um, do y'all think the laughing and violence stems from the fact that we have a, we have a society that has a history of having a gender binary society? Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think so. Because like I was mentioning before, with the heteronormative ideas, it's that, okay, there's only two genders. The, the, that romantic rela relationship should only be between opposite genders and things like that. So I think it's sort of, I don't want to say institutionalized, but I want to say it's ingrained in the fabric of our society. And that's why we can look at things like this and not take them seriously because we don't necessarily agree with people's lifestyles or the way that they choose to express themselves. Yeah. It's been programmed in our head and even in our laws that the, the country is basically built off of to only understand man and woman mm -hmm. and only understand at birth you are either man or woman. So it, it it just snowballs constantly over the years of trying to understand while being sort of like pushed back because of what we've been taught. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
you're muted. Dr. Robinson, you're muted. There we go. I was gonna say, I think the other thing that we have to talk about too is the most recent Supreme Court uh, nominee. Um, I think that is something that we have to think about because this person, unfortunately, they are not a friend to the LGBTQ community. Um, let's take a look at that real quick. So this is the person who is getting the nod. Her name is, what is it? Bar uh, Barrett. And she already, I mean, she would stack the Supreme Court the way it is right now. So if you think about that and how she could possibly stack the court, the challenge would be that could be a serious assault on not just LGBTQ rights, but that could also be an assault on, we're not voting for Tom Tillis. It could be an assault too on, I would say- Women's other, rights. Women's rights. Hell, the assault would be on rights for people who are marginalized. That could be a challenge, a very serious challenge. What do you all think about that? Um, I think it's, it's, it's honestly just a revolving door. Like if it's not one thing, it's another. Um, it's it's just really disappointing. Um, I guess it, it depends on who you speak to, but um, I, I wouldn't label myself as a progressive, but I do believe in some of the ideas. Um, but for some, for society that's trying to always trying to accept people and be open and things like that, I feel like someone being appointed with those types of beliefs sort of puts the country back as far as loving one another and being a united front. If, if this, this presidency of this, um, the, the administration that's in now, we wanna, we're America, we're the best nation in the world. We are, we're one, we're a family and stuff like that. That's not showing it. Appointing somebody who is not a friend of the LGBT community, it is not a friend of women's rights, is very, very just, non-inclusive how much are we united are we really the united states of america no all right so when we come back after this break we're going to go ahead and pivot zari's going to talk to us about some emmy wins she's also going to talk to us about meg the stallion on snl and a whole bunch of other things stay tuned we got a whole lot more coming for you in this round of the intellectual soul food lunch buffet your voice your vote in our democracy they matter make yours count Get registered, learn the issues, and vote by or on November 3rd. Visit vote411.org. This message is furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters. We're back, and I'm going to take it now to Zaria. Zaria, tell us about what's going on in the world of entertainment. So in the world of entertainment, um, big news for Zendaya. Um, I grew up watching Zendaya on Shake It Up on Disney Channel, but she's progressed. She's no longer the Disney kid, and she is on HB HBO's euphoria um zendaya made history by being the youngest female also african-american to win in the leading actress category at the emmys and again like this made history and it just shows the fact that um women can make monumental strides um but it has taken a little bit a long time to do so and it's kind of unfortunate but we are happy about it. So yeah, it's just it's just really, I guess, inspiring to see. Very good. And we're now going to take it to another level because we had something happen very recently. Meg the Stallion. Meg the Stallion used her political voice. Someone break this down for us. Tell us what happened here. So um Megan the Stallion, um the, it's a huge backstory here. So her her performance was about two uh addressing two subjects. The first subject was the obvious unjustly murder of Breonna Taylor and the fact that she still has no justice. And um, also to the fact that women, especially black women are unprotected. This also related to her personal life because um, I wanna say maybe about a month or two ago, Megan Thee Stallion was shot by Tory Lanez and um, he still has not been brought to any sort of justice for that. So her performance was basically shining a light on how black women should be protected. And it referenced um, 
uh, Malcolm X's line of black women are the most disrespected women in America. So she put her platform and what she believed in and what she's actually going through as a black woman on center stage at SNL. So I'm gonna bring some of the fellas back in for this because I would like to hear what they have to say if they're available. Talk to us ladies, performance versus art, art versus performance, life imitating art, art imitating life. What are we looking at here? Brittany, we'll start with you. I feel like in a way this is art imitating life because in today's society, um, with technology and its different advances, musicians have the more of a platform to voice their perspectives and views, um, especially in terms of making the stallion in her performance. Um, it directly relates to her life um, because she went through a traumatic experience um, and she did not get the justice that most people would think that she would receive since she is a popular artist. Um, but she didn't. She um, still has to voice her opinions on social media and people still demonize her for speaking out on something that happened to her, something that was traumatic. Um, and I think that goes to show a lot of the instances that Black women go through in society as a whole. People don't believe us. People don't see us as being innocent. People demonize us and feel as though, you know, um, we have to put on a facade. We have to um, put on the front that we're strong, but in actuality, we deserve the same uh, respect and attention that our white counterparts get um, on any given day. Now, some would argue politically, and those who are politically conservative, let me go ahead and qualify that, that in many cases that maybe, maybe not, we don't know, especially in matters of sexual assault on women. To some degree, do you think that because a woman may dress a certain way or carry themselves a certain way, and also even men, that in essence, they may, may be saying that, hey, this is what I'm dressed for. This is what I would like to attract. Tell us, what is, does that have any traction? Does that have any cultural traction? Again, how would that play into, I guess, the notion of, again, toxic masculinity? I think it contributes or sort of speaks to rape culture and a mix of rape culture and masculinity together. Because I think when we think about masculinity, we sort of relate it to power and um, power over women specifically when we think about patriarchy and hegemonic masculinity. Um, so I think that when we look at that with rape culture, there's this idea that, well, I personally think that rape is about power trying to exercise your power as a man, it's not necessarily about what the woman is wearing or doing. I think it's about, like you said, toxic masculinity and trying to exercise this power that society has ascribed to men. Okay, someone else. I mean, when you think about it, we go back, we just recently learned that locally in our local Senate race, that one of the candidates has now been forced to basically expose her, all of his sexual, sexual proclivities, uh, his sexual indiscretions have now been exposed. Whereas in one regard, you also have someone who says something along the lines of, oh, well, mm, grab her by the genitalia. And now this person is elected. We have a comment that comes from Mel Clemens. Wanna read that for us? Mia Clemens. It says, I feel like black women are becoming more assertive and demanding respect. Megan is a perfect example of that. Protect black women. Very good. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Ms. Clemens. We appreciate the comment. What do you all think? What do you say to that? I agree. I think when we see things like feminism and certain social, social movements like that, it speaks to, like she said, women having more of a voice. Um, because I think this society in, in America in general, obviously relates back to patriarchy. It was built for men to be the leaders, men to be men to be the head of the household, the head of government and that type of thing. So I think women are using their voices to sort of combat that. And I agree that um, that also relates to rape culture. Sorry. Honestly, this topic is just, I don't know. I really just don't like it because it seems like 
it's it's never going to we're never going to win like it's we always a problem like for example if megan wears something that would be deemed you know i guess inappropriate or something like that are you saying that she deserves the type of disrespect that comes no, i'm not saying that don't put that on me <laughs> i'm just talking about society in general right i feel like that's how a lot of people think like oh she's dressed like that why why would she not do that or not even put it in those blatant terms but i mean she does dress like that i mean she does say this etc cetera, etc cetera. well if somebody is it's saying that i want respect regardless of what i look like it shouldn't matter like just like in rape culture just a no means no like don't think that because i'm dressed like this you get to be like okay i'm gonna treat you like this i'm gonna do whatever i want because you don't deserve it because you don't know how to um, put pants on like no no mm -mm. Brittany, you've been kind of quiet on this topic I agree with Zaria. Um, in a way, I feel like society is really becoming desensitized to what is going on. Oh God, I removed it from the stream. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry about that. <laughs> We're still learning how this works. Go ahead. Okay. Um, uh, I, like I was saying, I really think society has become desensitized to what's going on with Black women. Um, I feel like since there has been I wouldn't even say there has been an influx of black women being disrespected. Black women have had a history of being disrespected by society. And um, that's something that it can be disheartening in a way, especially for um, my counterparts as being young African-American women um, in academia. It's something that makes us feel as though we're not being seen, we're not being heard. Um, and just the violence in general against black women specifically, um, it's something that society um, neglects to address. It's something that um, people who are in height, who are in a position of authority um, neglect to address in a way that benefits them, benefits us. Um, but instead, um, some of the legislation, some of the um, reports, they are, set out to demonize black women and set out to um, present us as a bad person or bad people just because of the way we dress, the way we talk, the way we carry ourselves. Um, it's the way we present ourselves is innovative and innovation can scare people. Um, so in a way, I feel like rape culture and the violence against black women, it's it's sad, but like Daria was saying, um, it's, it's, it, it, it it can't change overnight. It's it's something that we have to work on. It's something that we as a community in the African di um, American diaspora have to address internally. We got roughly it's five minutes. How do we bring solutions to the challenge? How do we fix as far, this? As far as this challenge, I feel like it's not our job to fix it. Like we have been screaming it for years. We should be respected. We should be held as the same sort of respect or equality as you guys, or even just speaking to all men or black men. And oh. they are the ones who push back, not us. We we live life just regularly. You guys have a problem with it. Sorry, not to all men, but you're the one who have a problem with it, not us. So mm. it us who have to make the change? What are we changing? Why are we changing? We keep okay. screaming that we shouldn't change. If we don't have a problem, you guys do. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, um, yes. Chuck really wants to come into the conversation. I'm not sure if you see him backstage. I, I see him backstage yeah. and he has been like, okay, Chuck, I'm going to give you, Chuck, you got a few <laughs> seconds. Go ahead. You only give me a few seconds, man. Chuck. But no, I just wanted to speak on the issue of the, I wanted to, well not issue but the topic. Uh, I feel that it's more of a social uh, construct, and it's really a double standard because it really ties everything together that we've been talking about with the toxic, toxic masculinity and um, performative femininity as well. Because when you look at performative femininity, it's the unrealistic uh, social construct, the ideas and standards that's often created by media placed on women of how they should portray themselves. And then you think of with, with Zari and all the other women were saying in this panel about how 
they dress a certain way and get treated a certain way. I think that's just mainly a social a social construct of how society has it. If we if we see women, we already look at them with because of our masculinity as the second part after us as men, not me, but as as men like in like as a, in a general sense. But already having that, and then you know, seeing how they dress, and then determining from just a social standpoint that that's conceived as not being you know respect themselves that they also don't get respect from us as far as when they're just trying to represent themselves because you think about it if a woman wears something that's that's showing her body part she's just trying to represent herself she's trying to look good for herself that's all but we look at it as if oh no nah, she's showing too much she hold but if i'm a man and i wear a tank top i wear some shorts that may you know be fitted i'm trying to appeal to women to to, to look at me you know in the same sense so it's just a double standard, I think, that is is really wrong and, and that has been socially constructed since since you know time being. It, it's just something that has to be, like Zari said, it has to be changed from a men's standpoint. So yeah. Okay, Chuck, we appreciate your chiming in on that. Thank you. Um, I want to thank all of you who are joining us uh, in the studio, and I want to thank all of you who watch this at home. We appreciate you watching. We love having you on the show. Uh, it is a great opportunity. We actually have, we had 13 people join us today. That's a record for us. So we should be happy for our followers. If you have any questions you'd like to ask us regarding the show or the content, drop us a line at soulfood2go and uh, soulfood2go at gmail.com. Thank you. And we will make sure that we address your concerns, questions, and so forth. Until then, we want to thank you all for joining us. Do yourself a favor. Go out, vote. We look forward to seeing you all in the next week. Take care. Be well.